without your Bible today, we can provide you with a Bible. Just raise your hand. We'd be happy to supply you with a Bible that we keep in the back. And there's a little note page uh, in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind grabbing that, it, it looks like this. That'll give you a little bit of, of a place to jot down a thought or two along the way. And when you look at that note page, you'll notice that the title at the top says, God, also known as. And, and we are in a study series in which we are sharing together in these days um, a study of looking into the scriptures and learning more about our amazing, awesome God through his names. The many, many different names that God goes by in the Bible. There are literally dozens of names that God has taken to himself, each one designed to reveal something about him that he wants us to know. And the better we know his names, the better we're going to know him. And the better we're going to be able to bring him into the places and spaces that this life takes us. Easy places, hard places, quiet places, chaotic ones. Fear-filled, peaceful, anxious, restful, dangerous, safe. There's a name for every place that life takes us. And so we are learning about the names of God in this time on our Sunday mornings together. So far, we have shared four of God's great names together. We've shared the three foundational, major foundational names of God, Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai. We covered those names, and then last week out at Herky Creek, we shared the first of many of God's compound names. A compound name, if you remember, is a name in which God takes one of his foundational names, like Elohim or Yahweh or Adonai, and then he adds another word to that name to help us better understand him. And so last time the compound name we shared out at Herky, out there in the meadow, was the perfect name for that occasion, Yahweh Ra. Remember that? My God who is my shepherd, the Lord who lovingly shepherds my life. And, and we are his sheep and he is our good shepherd, lovingly laying down his life for us through Jesus. And we call on this name when... We wonder if God really cares what's happening to us, if he really is for us when the wolves of life attack us. He is our good shepherd. Well, today, uh, another compound name of God comes into view. It's a wonderful name, a name that you and I must know. It is the name Yahweh Shalom, my Lord who is present and is my peace. The Lord who is my peace. And so we ask you, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and bring to life this name for us today. We're here. We're ready. Our Bibles are open. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready to receive what you have for us as you unfold this amazing name, Yahweh Shalom, to us. We're ready. And we all say together, amen and amen. You know, I had no idea what a big business peace of mind is in our culture, how, how marketable and desired peace of mind is in our society. I went online. I was just curious enough to see what would pop up if I Googled peace of mind. Well, the first thing I found was a band called Peace of Mind. 
Now, that, that's probably not a surprise, really. Somebody would have that name. But what did surprise me was that it was a Christian heavy metal band that had this name. Now, how heavy metal and peace of mind can appear in the same sentence, I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, I'm old. So, so there, there you have it. That explains why I don't get peace of mind heavy metal band. But th- there was a nanny service called Peace of Mind, and that's a pretty cool name when you think about parents who are wanting to have peace of mind as they leave their kids somewhere to be cared for. Great name. There was a peace of mind seismic design. It's a company that engineers earthquake-proof structures. Peace of mind. A private investment company called Peace of Mind will handle your investments and give you peace of mind with your money. Uh, There was a peace of mind video home security outfit. There was a moving company called Peace of Mind, an animal care service where you could leave your pet. Peace of Mind Animal Care, it was called. And there was PeacefulMind.com. They sold online special healing crystals, herbal magic candles, sandalwood oil soaps that they said would transport you into places of never-before-experienced tranquility and peace. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if it were that easy. You pick the right company, you pick the right service, and you get to have peace of mind. Or better yet, you light the candle, you rub the crystal, you sit in your bathtub and, and with the special soap, and you get peace. Wouldn't that be nice? But it doesn't work like that, does it? No. Ours is a world that at every turn seems to be trying to steal peace from people's lives, not give peace. Peace robbers are everywhere. The evening news or your favorite internet news page is a peace robber, if you stop and think about it. You know this even before you turn on the television or you log on to that page that what you're going to see and what you're going to read will mostly be bad news because that's what makes the news. And ours is a world rife with war and terrorism, crime, disease, disasters, death. The news creates fear and uncertainty and unrest, a a sense of impending dread. News like this creates a loss of peace. And the odd thing about that is is we seek it out. We turn it on or we, we log on to it. Years ago, Dr. James Dobson said, In this age of information overload, we were never made to absorb so much bad news. We just weren't created for that. But we go there, don't we? We go looking for it. But he's absolutely right. And the truth is we don't have to go looking for peace robbers, right? They are going to find us. They will. Our vocations, for example, our work situations harbor peace robbers. We lose our job, we can't find a job, we're unfairly treated in our job, or we're simply overwhelmed trying to do our job. And that steals our peace. Our vocation can do that. An unexpected health threat can rob us of our peace. That routine doctor's visit that instantly becomes anything but routine. The loss of a lifelong mate leaves us frightened and lonely in in a new normal called being a widow or being a widower. And then there are so many homes today that are filled with turmoil. 
One writer observes this. I read this last week. Many couples today seem to be married by the Secretary of Defense rather than a justice of the peace. Homes are too often battlegrounds, are they not? With children kind of caught in the middle. No peace. Yet the worst uh, peace robbers of all often lurk in our own minds and hearts. Failures, bad choices we've made, deeds we've done, feelings of having failed either God or or other people or maybe failing ourselves, unleash this wolf that eats up every last scrap of peace in our life and leaves us feeling guilty and regretful and knowing a lot of pain in here. A war within and no peace. We don't have to go looking for peace robbers. They find us. In this room right now, there are some, more than one, I would venture to guess, who is in one of these places, a peace-robbing place. Out-of-control circumstances, maybe difficult people in your life, divided houses, feelings of failure, peace robbers on so many levels in our contemporary sin-infected world. But hardly a new phenomenon. It's not like this is something brand new. A longing for peace of mind and heart spans all ages and all cultures and has for all of time. Agreed? It's not new. And for that reason, we should not be at all surprised that God would take for himself a name that would directly address this longing for peace that is in our hearts, in our lives. And that name is Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace, or more accurately, the Lord who is present is my peace. And we'll be teasing that out a little bit more shortly. In a moment, we're going to go to a place where this name, Yahweh Shalom, is found in our Bibles. But but first, let's understand this Hebrew word, Shalom, a little bit better. It's a word that we've all heard, right? It's not a new word to any of us. And we know that it serves as really the common greeting uh, for both hello and goodbye um, amongst the Jewish people today. Shalom, they will say, when they greet you or when they depart from you. The word itself can mean, depending on the context, being whole or being complete, uh, having a sense of well-being, or being safely at rest internally. On the inside, you are at rest. The really important thing to know about shalom, though, for us today is that it is something that we can have being at rest in our minds and in our hearts, even when everything around us is in upheaval and in great turmoil. If you know in the deepest part of your being that what you're going through, you're not going through alone, that God is with you in that, you can have shalom. On your note page in the middle, part of the definition we've provided for you there, when associated with God, and this is the most important line in this whole thing, when associated with God, shalom is a peace that comes from being aware of his presence with you no matter what is going on around you. In other words, shalom is bigger 
than the calm that is created when you have pleasant experiences or agreeable people are in your life or, or you get good news. And peace is not happiness. We want to make sure we get that part too. Because happiness is dependent on right happenings, right? Sure. As long as things are going good, then I'm going to be happy and I'll be at what? I'll be at peace. That's what we hear. That's what we often think. But then someone says or does something or instantly um, we, we, we experience this, this unhappiness because they've done that. The peace just seems to evaporate or maybe a, a negative circumstance comes into our life and an accident or a loss of some kind and, and suddenly we're not at peace anymore. That's because happiness is not peace. Shalom is not vulnerable to all of that because it's not tied to circumstances or to people. That's why in Israel, even today, you'll hear them use the greeting, Shalom, despite the fact that this is a nation that is almost a continual war zone. Shalom, they will say. Real peace, real shalom, being at rest in mind and heart can be in someone's life even when the most horrific things are going on all around them. And that's what we want to explore together today. The story is told of two artists who were invited to paint uh, a picture of peace. The one who painted the best picture would be awarded $250,000. And so as you might imagine, these two painters uh, were highly motivated and they attempted to paint the finest painting that they could to depict uh, and capture the essence of peace. The first painter set to work by creating a, a scene, uh, a serene uh, portrait of a, of a lake at sunrise, the warm amber colors of a brand new day dawning, the sun glistening off of the lake. The lake was smooth as glass, reflecting the tranquility of the moment, just like a mirror. The artist added a small rowboat uh, to his scene with a, a father and a son fishing together, capturing the elements of love and relationship in this incredibly tranquil scene. The artist stepped back and he took a deep breath and he, he, he was confident that he had, he had portrayed peace. The second artist had a very different idea in mind when he painted his picture. He depicted a scene of a terrific thunderstorm unleashed by... Uh, with with fury upon a on a desert setting, a craggy ravine, and and the sky was black, and lightning was zigzagging through the air in unpredictable movements, and and a flash flood was raging down this ravine and over a cliff in a mighty torrent, and you could sense the power and the speed, and and you knew that if you were caught in that, you would be dead in an instant. His painting looked like the very opposite of peace. Dark storm, lightning, thunder, out of control, chaotic power. But then if you studied the painting more closely and you really looked and if you, well, yeah, we'll go right to it. If you looked in this painting right here, well, you don't see that, do you? It's gone. It goes right off the glass. Good. You don't need it. Go back to, there you go. Right in the middle of this picture is this. There's a bird. If you happen to have seen that, there's this little bird that is safe and protected right in the cleft of the rock, and it knew it was safe. 
even with this torrent raging around it. Who do you suppose won the prize? Yeah, the painter, the second painter did. They chose the second painting because it showed the the truest expression of peace, a a well-being that that resonates from within despite whatever is going on all around. Being at peace doesn't mean being calm when everything's calm. You're supposed to be calm when everything's calm, right? Having shalom means we're at rest even when everything is going crazy. Thunder and lightning might be crashing all around you and the wind could be blowing in the torrent. Uh, bringing these unexpected, unpleasant circumstances into your life. And nothing looks right, and there's no rosy uh, future for you in the moment, and, and all is dark. But in those times, true peace, real shalom, can be ours. And it can be ours when we know who is with us in the middle of it all. Yahweh shalom. God, who is with me, who is present with me, is my peace. The Apostle Paul captures this truth so beautifully as he closes out his letter to the Thessalonian church in the, in the first century in the New Testament. This was a church family. If you know anything about the Thessalonian Christians, they, they were going through some really tough times for their faith in Jesus. They were alienated from their culture. They were ostracized. They were fired from their jobs. They were being persecuted. And Paul ends his letter, his second letter to the Thessalonians with these words. Now may the Lord of what? Peace. Shalom. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the Lord be, say it, with you all. Paul understood the shalom of the Lord's presence. He knew that it would be the difference maker for his friends. The Lord of peace be with you. Yahweh shalom. Now there are many places that we could turn in our Bibles for great illustrations to better understand God as the Lord of peace, but let me ask you to join me in this place where your Bible is open now. There's only one place in all of God's Word where the name Yahweh Shalom actually appears. It's all over the place in principle, but only in one place as a name. And it is where your Bible is open now, Judges chapter 6. Now, to really grasp this name well, you need a context for the book of Judges. I've invited you here this morning into this place, and it maybe has been a while since you have been in this part of God's Word. So just remember with me a little bit about the book of Judges. What is the book that comes right before Judges? It's the book of Joshua, right. And the book of Joshua uh, is all about how God brings Israel into the land that he promised to give them when he brought them out of Egyptian slavery. And, And God's great desire was that once in the land... Uh, Israel would settle down in the land and they would be solely devoted to him. They would be his people and he would be their God. But Israel complicates the issue almost immediately. No surprise, right? It's just kind of how it went. Rather than being singly and solely devoted to Yahweh as their God, uh, in a very short period of time after coming into the promised land, 
uh, the people of Israel were drawn to worship the gods with a small g that were made out of stone and wood, uh, the, the gods of their neighboring, their neighboring cultures, the neighboring people around them. And so in their practical life, they had Yahweh, they had God, but uh, they added other gods with small g's. And, and that equated out in their mind to uh, being happy and prosperous and at peace. God plus other things, other gods, equals peace. Well, that doesn't work, does it? That doesn't, it never works. While God is loving, while he is unbelievably patient, he is never open to sharing his glory or his people's devotion and worship and trust, especially with lifeless deities made out of wood or stone. So when his people would slide into one of these seasons of divided loyalty, God would discipline Israel, bring foreign armies into their land to threaten their peace. They would eventually cry out to God when it got bad enough and they were miserable enough and he would then send them a deliverer, a judge who would call them back to single-minded devotion to Yahweh and lead them in victory over their peace-robbing enemy. And this would be a cycle that would repeat itself over and over and over again in the book of Judges. It's It's a cyclical book. Israel sins, God disciplines, the people's peace vanishes, they cry out, God hears their cry, the people in turmoil repent, God responds with a deliverer, a judge, the peace comes once again for a while, and then the cycle starts over once more. And this is going to happen for about 300 years of Israel's history. After they're in the promised land, every 40 to 80 years, this cycle kicks in. And so as we open Judges chapter 6, the cycle is repeating once more. Verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That is, they were worshiping foreign gods with small g's. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, brothers and sisters, hopefully, hopefully we are smarter than Israel in the book of Judges. Because the principle is clear. A divided heart towards God robs you of your peace. A heart devoted to God brings peace into your life. Would you agree with that principle? Hopefully we get that. We can't have it both ways, but oh, how we try sometimes, to divide our loyalty between God and other things. It never works. The Midianites were cruel. They were brutal enemies of Israel. They were idol worshipers. They they hated God and they hated God's people. Yet God uses them to his own ends because he's always in control, right? He allows them to hold his people hostage, the verse says, for seven long years. The chapter will go on to tell us how every year, like clockwork, the Midianites would come into the land of Israel like a swarm of locusts. That's exactly what it says. And always right at harvest time, they would plunder the land. They would take all that had been freshly harvested. They would take the animals that had grown up over the year, and and then they would burn or kill whatever they couldn't carry back 
Midian. And so terrified were the Israelites in this season, in these seasons, that they would abandon their homes and they would live in caves up in the hills and just hide and wait till the Midianites had plundered everything. There was anything but peace in Israel in this season. And again, just to be clear, the, the Midianites didn't overpower Israel on their own. God let them bring his people low as a consequence of Israel's rebellious, divided heart against him. He lets them hit rock bottom. Just as he sometimes lets us hit rock bottom when we've walked away from him and, and in our hearts and in our actions divided our loyalty. He will let us hit rock bottom. Agreed? Sure he will. It's part of his loving discipline of us. And so when Israel has had enough... They do what God knows they will do. They, they cry out to the Lord to change this because we don't like this at all. And that's in verse 6. Utterly broken and powerless, helpless and peaceless, Israel's people, tormented by the Midianites, cry out to God. And that is when we are introduced to Gideon, about as unlikely a hero as you and I could ever to find. In verse 12, God sends an angel to Gideon who is at that moment beating out wheat in a wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. Nobody separates the chaff from the wheat in a wine press, right? That's, that's not what you do with that. But Gideon does that because he's terrified. He, he's just trying to survive. He's trying to scrape together just enough food to keep his family alive for one more day. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says in verse 12, the Lord, Yahweh, God's personal relational name, the Lord is what? With you. Verse 12. O mighty man of valor. <laughs> And Gideon looks around thinking, you certainly can't be talking to me because I have fought no battles and I have won no wars. I'm hiding in a wine press. Are you blind? <laughs> Mighty man of valor. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon, you can't do what I've asked you to do by yourself. You are so right about that. You are weaker than weak. But I will be with you. I will be with you. And because that is true, though the Midianites are like locusts in number, it will be like taking out a single man. I've got this. I will be with you. Brothers and sisters, this is the critical truth in this moment. Gideon is simply the supporting actor. God is the main character, right? I will be with you, Gideon. Strike down the Midianites and restore peace to your people. But, you know, Gideon is a timid soul. If you know his story at all, he's, he's a timid soul. And so he asks for proof 
that he is really speaking with God. God graciously accommodates his doubts, supplies him with the proof that he needs. And in verse 22, Gideon says, Alas, O Lord God, alas, Adonai Yahweh, my master and my promise-keeping God. For now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23, But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Shalom be to you. I will be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. Yahweh Shalom. The only place where the name appears in your Bible. Gideon is connecting peace in his life with the presence of God in his life. The two go together. You can't have one without the other. And Gideon is connecting the dots. And it's with this truth that Yahweh is with him, that timid, fearful, hiding in a winepress Gideon will step into a role, an amazing role, and become Israel's deliverer. Nothing residing within Gideon will make him fit for this great exploit except the knowledge that with him is Yahweh. And that's going to be enough. There's a peace that settles down upon him. He feels safe. He feels whole, at rest within himself, even though nothing around him has changed at all. Not one thing has changed, and yet Gideon has a peace. Shalom. Again, why is that true? Because shalom is not dependent on circumstances, is it? Not dependent on on people or anything else. It's dependent solely upon the Lord. Is he with you? Is he in your life? That's the difference maker. Check out these two verses from Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are what? Fixed on you. You will keep in perfect peace all whose thoughts are fixed on you. No matter what it is that you and I are going through, God says, I can be your peace. I will be your shalom. It won't be pleasant circumstances or nice agreeable people or a lack of problems that are going to bring peace into your life. I will be your perfect peace even when the armies of Midian are swarming down on you like a locust swarm. I will be your peace because I will be with you. Well, if you know the rest of Gideon's story... The first thing God does is tell him, you've got to get rid of those idols back at your house. And so he does. That very night, he goes back and he destroys all the family idols that have been added to God. Tears them down, burns them up, destroys them that very night. He cleans house and says, there's only one God. His name is Yahweh, and I am worshiping him. I'm going with him. Because he is with me. Then the Lord commands Gideon to call an army of Israel's fighting men together. 32,000 Israelites respond. 
This happens near the end of chapter 6, but God doesn't like the odds. There are 32,000 Israelites that are supposed to go up against 135,000 Midianites. God doesn't like the odds. So he strips Gideon's army down from 32,000 to 10,000. But God still doesn't like the odds. He takes the 10,000 Israelites that are left and he strips them down to how many? 300. 300 are all that are left in Gideon's army to go up against 135,000. And in that moment, God says, I like these odds. I love these odds. Gideon's not so sure that this is a good idea. 300 to 135,000. Not sure about that. But God once more sets his heart at peace by supplying him with some inside information. The Midianites, Gideon learns, are absolutely terrified of him. And they are even more terrified of Gideon's God. We read that in chapter 7, verse 14. Gideon exhibits a valiant heart and an unshakable confidence when he learns this information. And he and his 300 go into battle armed only with trumpets, clay pots, and torches. And a sword at their side. And then God had given this supernatural peace to Gideon. And he says, I am with you, Gideon. Do this. And Gideon does it. And, 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 the, and the circumstances are just incredible all around Gideon. You'd think death was imminent, but no way. No, there's a peace that comes. Yahweh is in his life. Yahweh was with him. The 300 guided by the Lord rout the Midianites in one night And the scriptures tell us here that 120,000 Midianites died this night. And Midian never bothered Israel again. It's a great story. Great story. One of my favorites. Church family, Gideon's experience of peace in the face of perilous circumstances and and dangerous enemies is, is not just an anomaly. It's not just a kind of a one and done, never to be repeated again in anyone else's life kind of a thing. Sometimes we think that when we read these stories. That's not for me. That was for somebody else. Yahweh Shalom is God's name. And he does not change. Agreed? He's taken this name for himself and he has given this name to us to know him by Yahweh who is present and is my peace. Once again, that that 2 Thessalonians 3.16 passage in the New Testament, it's it's nothing more than a rephrasing of Judges 6 verse 24. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you you all. Amen and amen. How can we have this peace, this this shalom, this rest in mind and heart, even when everything is in turmoil or or we're buried with uncertainty and question marks and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? How can we be like that little bird 
completely at rest even when the storms are raging all around. How can that happen? Well, if you flip that study page over, here are three answers that Scripture would supply. How do I have Yahweh's shalom in my life, this one-of-a-kind peace in my life? Well, it all begins, does it not, with a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Does it not begin here, brothers and sisters? It starts here and it ends here. Scripture says that between a holy God and every sinner, there is a great chasm that separates. Because that's what sin always does. It, 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 it always separates. It always destroys. It always brings death, physical and spiritual death. Sin steals peace. It is, it is the ultimate peace robber. To say it another way, there is no peace. There is no spiritual peace between a sinner and a holy God. Just an eternal separation. No peace. But God sent His Son, didn't He? He sent Jesus, His sinless Son, to be the peacemaker. He sent Him to die for our sin, to pay the debt that we owe God for all the sins in our lives, but we could never pay that debt. Jesus pays the debt. He bridges the chasm. He he brings peace where none existed between us and God. And that's exactly what Romans 5.1, there on your note page and on the screen says. In fact, can we read this aloud together? Romans 5.1. Let's read it aloud as a church family. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be one of your memorized verses. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means to be pronounced not guilty any longer in the court of heaven, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Perhaps, if you're asking yourself, Man, there's no peace in my life. Why is that? My life is just this constant turmoil, this constant boiling. This, there's no peace. Why is that? Perhaps the answer for you is, is no farther away than to ask the question, is Jesus Christ in my life? Is Jesus Christ my Savior and my Lord? Has He brought the peace between me and God that my soul longs for? Jesus says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Do you know when Jesus said that? He said that within just a couple of hours of going to the cross to pay your sin debt and mine. In this world you will not have peace, but in me you will have peace. Peace for your soul. On the very same night, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. No matter what storms blow into your life, I'm greater than your storms, Jesus says. The world says it can give you peace, but it can't. No peace between you and God, but I can do that. I have done that. I've done that for you at the cross. Believe in me and have what? Peace. 
And then when that relationship between us and God has been established through faith in Jesus, we believe that he died for us, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead to to give us peace, then we discipline ourselves to keep our minds focused on that truth. That's how we have peace. We, We stay focused. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Roman believers, says this, Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is what? It's death. It's death. It's turmoil. It's no peace. But the mind governed by the Spirit of God is what? Life and peace. Shalom. As a lover of Jesus, we don't think like we used to think. Or like the world thinks. Real shalom is rooted in a mind that is focused on the presence of God. Just as Gideon's mind was focused on the presence of God. A mind that is focused on the things of the Spirit is a a mind focused on the presence of God. And that brings life and that brings peace. Not death and turmoil. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 again. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is what? Stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Perfect peace. Isn't that great? Perfect peace. Belongs to those who aren't trusting in their circumstances or people or themselves because there's no peace there. Perfect peace for anyone who makes the Lord, Yahweh, the focus of their trust. How about this? Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21. Here's the other side of the story. But the wicked, or the one who is not trusting the Lord, you could say it that way, are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says God, for those who do not trust in Him. You know, we had a time change last night. You, you knew that because you're here on time. We all fell back and we got an extra hour. Nice. But we had to reset our clocks, didn't we? We had to do that. If we didn't do that, we're going to be all messed up. We have to do that, Christian, often living in a sinful world. We have to reset our focus. Our mind on God, staying in step with His Spirit, the promise is the result. The the promise is peace. Shalom. And then the last thought there, if we really want Yahweh's promised peace, no matter what life dishes out, we really need to be cultivating a habit of constant conversation with God, with Jesus, using the vehicle of prayer. What does Philippians 4, 6, and 7 say? What does it say? Do not be anxious about anything. About anything, Christian. But in everything, by prayer, by conversation with God, and with supplication, with a, with a, with a humble spirit, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Two more verses to hide in your heart. Here is an open invitation to anyone who knows Jesus to talk to him, to talk to his father at any time about anything. Nothing is off limits. 
whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, whatever's threatening to steal your peace, you bring that to Him, these verses say. And His promise is, what? Peace. And not just any kind of peace, but what kind of peace? A peace that can't be explained by anything in this world because it's from God. It's a, it's a peace that comes because God is with you and you are in Him. We have Yahweh Shalom. And that will be like a helmet. That'll, that peace will be like a, like a protection, like a defense against fear and doubt and despair and anger and worry and anything that would come into your heart and mind to try to steal your peace. It cannot happen if we're not in a running dialogue every day many times in the day talking with God, pouring out our gratitude and our fear, our thanks and our anxieties, our worries and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. That's a promise. From Yahweh Shalom. Amen? Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, great truths, fantastic name for us to call you by. We thank you for how you have made peace between you and us through Jesus, and we're going to celebrate that now together around your table. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you have done for us and for what you are doing even in this moment. For the one who might be in our midst today who does not yet have peace with you, may that happen today. May that happen today because it can happen today through simple faith in Jesus. For those of us who are caught up in things that are bringing great anxiety to us, may these other things we've talked about, staying focused on you, Jesus, and and centered on the presence of you, may these things hmm, bring us peace as we talk them out with you. We love you, Lord, but only because you loved us first. We say together, amen and amen.